0: The passage is from Acts 2, beginning in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: All right. Thank you, um, Kelsey, for that. And now, guys, as they sit down, let's, let's uh, go ahead and give a little round of applause um, just for Stephen and Kelsey. And uh, again, just to thank God for his significant work within our church. And, and um, we're just excited to continue. Continue to see him working um, among us, and, and just honored for that. And um, now, as we get into our time in the in the sermon, um, we've got a lot to cover. Okay, so if you saw that, we're um, covering chapter two, verses fourteen through forty-one. So would you go ahead and turn with me there to Acts um, chapter two, verses fourteen. Through 41, if you don't have a Bible with you, would you uh, hold your hand up high and keep it up, and somebody will get you a Bible? Y si quieres la Biblia en español, y si no tienes, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y estamos en el libro de Hechos, capítulo 2. I uh, want to make sure we all know where we're at here. So we're in Acts again, chapter 2, and we just want to make sure everyone can have a Bible they can read and understand and follow along with in their, uh, in their heart's language. And um, as we get into it, let me just remind us where we are, where we've been. Um, we've, as I said, got a ton to cover here, and, and the big idea, okay, I want us to see this from the very beginning, the big idea of the whole book of Acts is, remember, it's the Acts of God. Okay, often it 's called the Acts of the Apostles or different things like that, but the main point, the main figure, if you will, the hero of the story is God, and God working through his people, and most specifically it's it 's God working through the risen Jesus who sent his Holy Spirit to empower his people but that 's kind of a Mouthful, right? So we just kind of stick to the Acts or the works of God. And that's what we've been seeing. And um, as I said, this Acts chapter 2 is like the hinge point for everything that this author, um, who, the guy who wrote Acts, his name is Luke. He also wrote the gospel according to Luke. And so he wrote Luke, and Luke is kind of like the first glimpse. Luke is like volume one, and then Acts is like volume two. And everything in Luke and then in Acts chapter one is pointing toward Acts chapter two, when God would send his Holy Spirit, as he promised, to empower his people to carry out his works for his glory and the good of the nations And then everything after Acts chapter two onward now points back to and flows out of Acts chapter two, okay? So um, this is just a little bit of a foretaste of where we're going throughout our time today is um, I'm going to have to talk fast and explain a lot, so um, I pray that you would stay with me. And sometimes I've been told, Dave, when you get going and you talk in this elevated tone and all this stuff, it's exhausting, okay? So, 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 So take a breath with me right now. Okay, and, and we're going to have to, we're just, it's on you, okay, to remember to breathe and to kind of sit there because we've got a ton to cover, right? Like I said, and I want to make sure that we're tracking here, um, and I may even ask for some amens as we go just so I know that we're all together and tracking with me, okay? When a guy with a stutter who's getting over being sick has to cover a lot, it's, it's big, okay? We need God to work, okay? We need him help us, um, But so let me tell you how we're gonna walk through this massive chunk of scripture this morning is like this, okay? Look with me at verse 36, okay? Acts chapter two, verse 36. This is kind of the big idea. The main point of this whole thing is right here. In verse 36, it says this, let all the house of Israel, that's God's people, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, okay, if you're underlining, you're taking notes, underline that, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. That's king and savior. This Jesus whom you crucified. Okay, so the big idea is so that God's people can know for certain that Jesus is the king and the savior of his people through his death on the cross, the crucifixion, and his resurrection from the dead. And the big idea is so you may know for certain. If you guys remember, in, in all the way back in Luke um, chapter One and in Acts chapter one, the author Luke tells this Guy Theophilus, and he knows that other people like you and me today and all throughout the world would be reading this, and he says, "So you may know, so you can have certainty, because like then, like us now today, God's people often find ourselves in these places of asking hard questions, God, my circumstances what I'm trying to make sense of what's going on around around me, it's not all lining up. Are you there, God? Do you care, God? Are you with me, God? Are you powerful? Are you ambivalent? Do you just, are you, are, are you, or do you care, but you're not strong enough to really do anything? Or do you just not care? And the whole message is, no, God's people can have certainty and find comfort in who he is and what he's doing. And in what he has done and in the promises that he's given. So where we're going today, okay, that's the big idea, right? That one verse. So let me share with you how we're going to walk through this. Normally, we would walk through verse by verse by verse, okay? We'd kind of walk through a chunk, explain it, walk through, explain it. But today in this big thing, um, I uh, read one guy named John Stott, and this is how he suggests to go through this. And it's to break it down into these categories. And I think I uh, have it up here. And it's this. What we'll see in this whole section is we'll see that there are two events. And there are two witnesses. And there are two commands. And then two promises. Okay, so we're going to walk through this way. We're not going to go verse by verse. We're going to jump around a bit. So again, all the more need to breathe. Okay, look at your neighbors. Say breathe. All right, Say, say stay, stay with me, um, and we're going to walk through that because all of that, okay, two events, two witnesses, two commands, and two promises comes back to that verse 36, so that we, God's people, may have certainty that Jesus, who was crucified and rose again, he's the king, and he's the savior, amen? Okay, so let me pray and ask God to lead us through this important time together. Lord, we uh, thank you and we love you and we need you. <laughs> Even this morning as we get into your word together, um, I pray that you would, um, Lord, give us eyes to hear and, and eyes to see, rather, and ears to hear and hearts to receive and respond to the good news of Jesus. Um, Lord, I confess that I don't have the, the uh, wit or the intelligence or anything like that to, to convince anyone that you're good and that you're in control, Um, But Lord, I know that you, even as we'll read here, you cut to the heart, you reveal yourself. And uh, when you do that, we can do no other but respond. And so I pray that's what happens this morning. Uh, We love you and we need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so picking up here in verse 14, kind of right out of the gates, it says this, but Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So what he's saying here is, right, if you guys remember in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, this God poured out his Holy Spirit and God's people started speaking in tongues. And in that In that time, in that context, it was speaking in tongues that other people could understand in other people's languages. And they heard it, and it says that people marveled. And God's people were at work here. And God's relationship with his people was on display through how they were relating with one another. And most people leaned in and said, tell me more about that. But some people mocked and said, they're just drunk. And then we get in right this morning, we pick up in verse 14. Well, Peter stood up. And address them now this is the second time in acts that peter specifically has been the one to stand up and address all these groups of people who have questions but and so we could just kind of take that for granted and be like oh yeah cool you know that's just peter that's what he does well throughout luke right the gospel according to luke and really all the gospel accounts whenever peter would stand up and make an address everyone's like, oh man, this guy. He's, he had like put his foot in his mouth. He always said the dumb thing. He always said the awkward thing. He always ruined Thanksgiving dinner with like saying something that, that was just kind of out of line. Like one time, Jesus foretells what he's got to do. He's like, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm here. I'm perfect, and I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die. But then on the third day, I'm going to raise again. And Peter is like, ah, I better put Jesus in his place. And he takes him aside and he rebukes Jesus. He says, Jesus, don't ever say that again. And Jesus, and Jesus says, uh, get behind me, Satan. Okay, so, so Peter gets called Satan, right? He's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Yet, he's consistently the one now through whom God chooses to work and to show himself. And even more than that, sometimes Peter gets like made fun of like I just did and we all chuckle and laugh. But even more than that, I want to point out that it's like around a month before this event that we're looking at right now, about a month before this, guess what Peter does? He denies Jesus. Jesus is being crucified, and Peter, who's followed him, who swears he will always be with him and support him, he says, I don't know that guy. I don't know him. I don't want to even be associated with him. And what I don't want us to miss right now is how many of us in this room think that God working through us is contingent upon, is based upon how good we feel like we are and like how much distance has come between the last time we sinned or that we admit that we sinned or that we know that we sinned and that God can y- use us. But but as we're gonna go like Spoiler alert here at the very end of this whole section we'll we'll learn in verse 41 that 3000 people put their faith in Jesus through Peter preaching this sermon and and it and and and, and we would want to say oh well he must have done all the right things right he went to confession he did all these prayers he gave his alms you know he gave money he went to bible study he never missed a sunday morning he did all the right things and then god used him but no you see that he is this broken guy that 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 turned away from Jesus and denied Denied Jesus, and nothing other than God's grace, his undeserved favor, his forgiveness, now empowered him to be used so mightily by God. Okay, so I want us to just be encouraged now as we look at Peter to not take for granted that it's like just a little over a month from when he denied Jesus. Now God is using him so mightily and so profoundly. And then it says, right, in verse 15, but this, or no, in verse, um, in verse 14, these people aren't drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So the third hour of the day is like 9 a.m. So he's like, guys, of course these guys aren't drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. Well, apparently he wasn't from a college town, right? He didn't know, like, you can be drunk at 9 in the morning, especially Tempe, right? But, um... <laughs> But he, uh, he, okay, he, he, he dismisses that charge and says, no, let me tell you what's going on here, okay? Let me tell you um, why these people are acting the way they are. And he goes back and he explains those two events. These two events are the death and resurrection of Jesus, the climactic events in all of history. All right? We're like 2,000 years removed from that right now. And let me tell you, okay, look at me. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the climactic point in all of history. Everything that ever happened before that leads up to that and everything that flows out of always comes back to, okay, we've, this is like Easter message here. But if Jesus didn't really die on the cross and if he didn't really victoriously raise from the dead, then we're foolish for even being here. Than, than doing stuff, you know, coming to church, praying, doing all these things, gathering like we are, me being up here talking. It's just foolish. And we should, be, we should be laughed at, the author Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. But because he really did raise from the dead, these two events shape everything. And so that's where Peter gets into here. And he shows these two events, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he explains what just happened. Okay, he explains what these people are seeing, all right? And so he, he um, picks up here, picking up in verse 22. This is where Kelsey read. And again, this is how we're going to go at this, okay, this morning. We're going to zoom in and look at real close, and then we're going to fly back up and take like a helicopter view of the whole thing. And then we're going to zoom in, and we're going to look at for a minute, and we're going to zoom back up, okay? So that's where we're going. So if it helps you to follow along here as I go or on the screen, do it. If not, just to kind of trace with me where we're going, then do that. But in verse 22, he starts to explain these two climactic events. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of and foreknowledge of God. Again, this is God's plan. God's the author of the story. He's the hero of the story. God's not up there chewing his nails like, oh man, what am I gonna do now? They just crucified Jesus. No, God's plan is unfolding. God's in control. He knows what he's doing. And then he goes on he says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so he explains what's going on here, what these people are seeing. Okay, and I just wanna take a moment here and share with you. These people are leaning in and demanding an explanation because of what they're seeing. So much in our world today, in our church climate today, we give these like philosophical arguments, we give these propositional truths that are all like, well, let me explain to you this, and it's like something out there. But how God works is he's working among his people in such a way that it demands an explanation. That people see transformation. People see Peter, who denied Jesus, who took a sword and lopped off a Roman soldier's ear, who, who is this like crazy, unruly guy, and then now, because they can see the transformation in his life, they want an explanation. See, tell me more about that. And so Peter's not just giving this high and lofty, you know, sermon, this evangelistic, you know, presentation that, like, people struggle to understand. No, he's showing how God's transformational work looks in real everyday life, and he's explaining it. And I pray that's what would happen for us today, and and that we would be God's people transformed in such a way that it demands an explanation, that when we talk about the events of Jesus' death and resurrection, it would be in such a way that, that it's not just something hard for people to imagine, but they see it lived out among us. Amen? And he goes on and he continues and he explains and now he he, he, he quotes in verses 25 through 28, he quotes um, Psalm chapter 16, verses eight through 11 and he's quoting G- David, King G- David. And he goes on and he, and he explains and he says, I saw the Lord always before me for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. And then he goes on and he, and he explains and he says, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence and so he's quoting David, this psalm, okay, that, that was written like a thousand years before these events. Okay, so so here Peter's explaining the death and resurrection of Jesus, and he's quoting a psalm from a thousand years earlier, okay, to explain what's happening in the present day. And again, he's showing God's foreknowledge, God's plan. This every event in human history that has unfolded is unfolded is, is is making sense only because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then he goes on and explains, picking up in verse 29, he says, "'Brothers, I, say, I may say to you with confidence "'about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, "'and his tomb is with us to this day.'" And, and I can't go into everything I wanna go into this sermon, okay, because there's so much, but let me just say, I've actually been there, I've been to Israel, I've been to Jeru- Jeru- Jerusalem, you guys can help me, by the way, with that. I'm not, I'm not going to scold you. If you finish a word for me, do it. You can shout it out. Um, especially today, I'm hopped up on Benadryl and all kinds of stuff to fight what's been going on with my body. So I need you. Okay? Um, it's a community. Amen. Okay. And so um, it takes a village, not just to raise kids, but to preach the sermon sometimes. So, so here's what's going on though. What I love is that, is that these people and Peter, they're in the upper room gathered. And when he says, I, I tell you with confidence that David who wrote that Psalm is, he died and was buried and is in a tomb and he's with us to this day. He's likely way less than a mile, probably just feet away from the tomb where David is laid in Jerusalem. So it's not just like, again, these hypothetical things where it's like, oh, one time David was buried, and he's saying, listen, clearly David is talking about two events, the death and resurrection of Jesus, not about himself, because we know that David was buried and is laying in a tomb. In fact, we could all walk over there right now, and we could show you where David is buried, and it's because God is giving assurance. Remember verse 36, so you... God's people can know for certain that Jesus is the king, that Jesus is the hope of his people. So there's two events, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and then two witnesses. He goes back to again quoting David from a 1,000 years before and also a prophet, Joel, from like a, a few hundred years before this happened, about four. Five 600 years before this event. He goes on and he, and he quotes Joel. So there's two witnesses, David and Joel. And now before we get into these two witnesses, though, a lot like you and me today, these people need this certainty. We need to be beat over the head sometimes with these objective truths of God. Because again, let me just ask you honestly right now, just ask in your heart, you don't have to answer me, but how much does Jesus's death Okay, we have a cross up here and look at that. How much does the fact, the historical fact that Jesus died on the cross and the historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead, how much does that define and inform your everyday life? Your relationship with other people, your your everyday coming and going at your workplace, how you interact with the computer, how you interact with your neighbors, how you interact with you know, traffic with anyone that you're, when you're going through the drive-through with how you treat other people, with how, all these things, with how you relate with other people, image bearers of God for whom Jesus died and then rose from the dead. If we're honest with ourselves, and I'm honest, like the answer to that is too often not very much. I think even in our day today, it's because we're prone to be directed more by our feelings, and we more say we're the judge and the jury of what's true, and what feels right to us in the moment, and that's how we decide things. In fact, the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year, I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know Oxford Dictionary had a word of the year. Some of you guys did know that, but I guess every year they like choose a word. At the end of the year, they choose a word that defined that year, and the word for this um, year, or last year of 2016, is post-truth. How many of you guys have even heard that before? You guys know, okay, see, okay, some of you guys know that, post-truth. And call me crazy, that sounds like two words. But I guess if you hyphenate it, it can be a word. So anyway, post-truth, okay, is the word of the year. And this is what it says about them, or what they said. They said, after much discussion, debate, and research, the Oxford Dictionary's word of the year for 2016 is post-truth. It's an adjective defined as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. And they say mostly that the U.S. presidential election as well as um, great... Britain's Burr- exit from the European Union. They said those two events and kind of what went on in that conversation is what, what kind of led them to choose this word. But in a nutshell, because I had to like read that like five or six times to even say like, what do you say, Can, you know, what, what do you just say to me? Um, it's saying, it's saying this, it's saying how we feel is more important to us than the objective truth that is put in front of us. How something makes us feel Defines how we're going to base our lives a lot more than than the facts. So all the more, these two factual events, supported by two historical witnesses, is why Peter is explaining things the way he is. And so he goes into these two these two witnesses, right? And so he goes on and um, just to to read here in verses sixteen and seventeen says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall, shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And he goes on in this whole section there as he's quoting this witness, Joel. Again, a prophet from hundreds of years before, that is leading up to this. And here's the deal, guys. Okay, hear me. This is really important that we see. He's so confident in what he's saying. Peter is not saying, you know, this evangelistic presentation that I'm giving to you, it's like what Joel said. He's not just searching. No, he's saying there is, if if we read in the Greek here, there is confident, authoritative language where he's saying, this is what Joel was talking about. He's saying, listen, what was, what was written down and shaped God's people hundreds of years ago is what is being presented to you and explained to you right now in this day. Jesus who many of you saw perform these miracles okay again this is just way less than a hundred years after Jesus's death and Jesus's life he's saying you guys saw Jesus do all those all these things and you guys saw Jesus crucified and you guys saw Jesus raised from the dead and you guys saw these 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 events that that God's Holy Spirit would come and empower his people to speak in these tongues and to and to perform these things and and all this craziness that you're trying to make sense of right now this is this is what was prophesied not it's like it it is it it's fulfilling god's promises from the very beginning and then elsewhere when he goes on and he calls on the witness of david right and he and he goes and he and he, uh, he explains all these things in um as I had even shared earlier in verse 22 and then on in there, 22 through 24, which we've all already read, he's, 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 he's explaining about the works of Jesus. And then he goes on and in verse 25, for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. And he, and he goes on and again, he's calling on these witnesses from over a thousand years ago, from hundreds of years ago, from this time, and guys, for us thousands, over 3,000 years ago, you see that God's plan and God's purposes can be held onto with absolute certainty because we know that these two events, Jesus' death and resurrection, has been affirmed by more than these two witnesses, but even in this case by these two witnesses, and that is meant to define our lives today. It's not just meant to be, ah, maybe, it's kind of like this. It's not these, these kind of, these ideas out there. No, it's that he, the, these events are showing up through the lives of God's people, and it demands an explanation. And it's attested to and witnessed to by these two that he quotes. And then um, I'm not going to read through it. I don't really have time, but if you're, for those of you that are taking notes and going for it, um, Back over in volume one, remember Luke, the, the Gospel uh, according to Luke? It might be on the screen here, but Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 48. You see that Jesus himself, okay, the words of Jesus, he is referring to these things. And Jesus, before his um, ascension into heaven, he even is saying, listen, all the law of Moses and, and all the prophets, okay, Joel is a prophet, and the Psalms, that's King David who wrote in the Psalms, he says, they will attest to these things that you are experiencing. So even Jesus is witnessing to his own life and to his own work through his people Two events, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Two witnesses, Joel and David. And then two commands. Because God's work among his people always demands a response. Two commands, repent and believe. Repent and believe. In verse 20 and 21, it says this, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wow, that just made a noise through there. I didn't know if um, it would do that. The day of the Lord. Okay, are you guys tracking? The day of the Lord, what does that mean, right? That's something, and that, again, it's like we just use these language out there. It's hypothetical. Oh, the day of the Lord, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. The day of the Lord is a day that for some people is a day of great joy, but for others is a day of great dread. Okay, the day of the Lord is a historical event that we look forward to when all people who lived on this earth, every single person will stand before Jesus, the King, the Lord, and will give an account for his or her life. And for those who have called on the name of Jesus, those who have put their faith in Jesus, those who have been found in him, it is a, gray of, it is a day of great joy and reckoning and salvation, as it says. Because all will, will stand before God and, and God will say, Why should I let you into my heaven? I don't know that it'll specifically say that, but on those, God will, 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 give, um, will call us to account for our lives, will hold us accountable for how we lived. And he, will, and he will stand there, and for all those who have been found in Christ, whose lives have been defined by these two events, by the death and resurrection of Jesus, he will look and will say, forgiven, pure, fully righteous, right standing before God, that all of our sins have been covered and have been dealt with and have been made new because of the, the blood of Jesus and the victorious resurrection from the dead, but, but all those who have said thanks, but no thanks. Okay, they, they, all of us in our lives have, were born to have our lives defined by God, our identity, our purpose, everything that we do. But every single one of us has chosen our own way. We've all said, no, thanks, God. I, I got it. I'll take it from here. I'll do it on my own. I don't want my identity and my purpose to come from you. I want to figure it out on myself. And that's sin in a nutshell. It's not God. And for all who stay there, who are in this place of saying, I'm going to figure it out on my own, the day of the Lord is a day of great dread. And it demands a response from us because here's the deal, that's the bad news. The bad news is is the effects of sin, the consequences of sin, and the good news, the gospel, that means good news, the good news is 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 that Jesus has come and lived the life that we were created to live. And then Jesus came and he died the death that we deserve to die and that we needed to die. And then Jesus came and victoriously rose from the dead and established the life that you and I can now live, eternal life through faith in him. And here's the deal, guys, that is news, okay? It's not advice. And so often we treat the gospel, we treat the Bible as if it's good advice. And we're in, the, we're in the driver's seat and we say, okay, God, thanks for that suggestion. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll take it. Maybe I'll implement it. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll make Jesus a good example and I'll follow him as a good example. Or maybe I'll, I'll, I'll take some of Jesus's t- teachings and when it's convenient for me, I'll apply them to my life and I'll make them the way I want them to be. But again, that big idea in verse 36 is what? So that we may know for certain that Jesus is both Lord, King, and Christ. He's the King. He's the Lord. And, and when the Lord gives you news, it's not advice. It's not like, okay, maybe I'll take it or leave it. No, if he's truly the Lord, and he is, and he truly gives us news and calls us to respond, then everything about our lives needs to be, um, and need, needs to fall in line with who he is and what he's saying. Our identity and our purpose and everything about our lives needs to be a response to his good news. Okay, this is, there's a massive difference between good news and good advice. And I pray that we will hear and respond to that And then you see in verse 37 and 38, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let me be very clear here, verse 37 they were cut to the heart. I I even said this in our prayer, guys, and I'm gonna kinda pick up the speed here, but you've gotta hear this, okay? You've gotta understand this, lean in right now. As I said earlier, I don't have the wisdom or the intelligence, and every time I prepare to preach, or anyone else who stands up here and preaches, uh, we pray that God and we trust that God will do a work that we cannot do. That in order for any of us to respond to this good news in faith, to give our lives to Jesus, to say, I want to follow you, I want to trust you, I want my identity and my work and my relationships and my purpose and my rising up and my lying down in every moment of my day to be. shaped by you, that only happens if God himself cuts you to the heart. Or if that's a little too violent of language elsewhere in the Bible, it uses this idea of of like a, a lover wooing you to himself. The very idea of this, God, even now in this moment, I pray, revealing himself to you in such a way that demands a response, where you can say, God, I give my life to you. I, I, I trust that you are the way and the truth and the life, that no one comes to the Father, that no one can be restored apart from you. And my prayer even now is that God is revealing himself to you. For those of you who are here who are not Christians, Which simply put, that does not mean you grew up in a a political environment or a a home environment that was such that it was like, yeah, I check the box of Christian. or No, that it means I am found in Christ. That the death and resurrection, the life, death, and resurrection and lordship of Jesus defines my life. And for those of you who that is not true for, I pray that in this moment, God is revealing himself and is calling you to himself. And then it says that that anyone who repents, that means to turn. As I said earlier, all of us have walked away. We've all said, no, thanks, God. I want to go our own way. And repentance means to turn, like a 180-degree turn to I've been wandering away from you, and now I am turning towards you because of that climactic event the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because of that, I now turn towards you and I now give you my life. And this baptism, I just want to say, um, here in a few weeks, on February 26th, we're going to have another baptism service. We don't believe here that the event of being baptized is what makes you saved. Okay, we don't believe that, like, if you put your trust in Jesus right now and then you go out and you get hit by a bus. I don't know why it's always getting hit by a bus, but whatever. You get hit by a bus and you die that 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 God will, you know, that God's big enough to know and say, yeah, you're mine. You've, you've called on the name of Jesus. You've put your faith in him. But, but it's also not just a silly suggestion that we just like, oh, yeah, maybe I will. Because it is given to be like an anchor, a reminder. And we talk about this when we're having a baptism. Service that that what really happens, what actually happens when you put your faith in Jesus is you go from death to life. And when someone is baptized, they're asked a series of questions. They get into the water. And we do believe in baptism by immersion, and then, and then when someone is baptized, they're told that, that, that you are now buried with Christ and raised again to new life through faith in him, that the old is passed away, the new has come, that the old man or woman has been put to death, and you have been born again to new life in Jesus. And by, we don't, like, do it over and over again, by the way, okay? They're told, you know, all this all at once, but this, symbolically, this would be something that would shape our lives so that we could live as God's people, defined by these two of. the death and resurrection of Jesus, um, witnessed to by these two, David and Joel and so many more, and and then that we would respond to these commands of repent and believe and then be baptized and now live in light of your new identity as a follower of Jesus. And finally, there are two promises, promises that you can take to the bank and define your entire lives by, and it is that you will be forgiven and that God will send his Holy Spirit and so he goes on, and I'll just um, refer to things that we've already read. In verses 17 and 18, again, quoting, quoting um, Joel, he says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And then um, I'll just read these last couple verses in verse 38, where he explains what's happening here. These promises. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise. okay, Turn to your neighbor and say promise. Promise. God is always true to carry out his promise. For the promise of God that you will be forgiven and that his spirit will be poured out Upon you, and that for the children, for all who are far off, every one whom the Lord of our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued. All who are far off, we're in Tucson in 2017, sitting in Safford School, and that's pretty far off from where this event took place. And yet, God's promise means that today and tomorrow and every day from here on out, we can be defined. By the person and work of Jesus. That, that Jesus is life, death, resurrection, ascension, lordship. That right now, in this moment, he is ruling over all things. And that our lives can have hope and purpose and meaning defined by him. And, guys, the last thing that I want us to hit on as we consider how do we respond to this news, right? News, not advice is that the big idea in this whole thing is the resurrection of Jesus and the sending of his spirit. And um, one man, Daryl Bach, it's a a commentary that I heard and, and read. He says this, when the church only preaches forgiveness, it gets what it asks for. And here's what it's saying. It's saying that we tend to sit here as a people with our heads hung low And we approach God in such a way that says, God, please forgive me. God, um, thankfully you died on the cross and now I'm forgiven. And then we stay there. And that, yes, is the forgiveness important? Is the work of Jesus on the cross important? Yes, absolutely. But guys, here's the deal. You don't see Jesus still on the cross. But so many of us live as though he's still on the cross. We celebrate Good Friday but we forget about Easter. Come on. What would it look like if Peter still stayed in this place of like just cowering in his sin and, and knowing he's been forgiven, but not living in light of the new life of the resurrection of Jesus, that he's now empowered and emboldened to live the life that, that God has called him to live, that, that he is now forgiven? Okay, when we talk about eternal life, it's not just talking about duration but it's talking about quality. It's talking about God living and working through his people. And I pray that as we respond now, that again, those of you who have never put your faith in Jesus, that this would be a moment that you are cut to the heart to respond, that you are wooed by your creator who formed you in your mother's womb, who knows every number of hairs on your head, and is calling you to himself. And then that every single one of us right now would be responding in such a way that we are now identified By the resurrection of Jesus, by his death on the cross, yes, and so much more by his victorious resurrection from the dead and then so much more by the sending of his Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us. What would it look like for us to live and to function as a people who are now defined by the resurrection of Jesus and the sending of his Holy Spirit empowering us to live in such a way that it demands an explanation by a watching world. So now let us pray that we would indeed respond appropriately to the good news of Jesus. Two events, two witnesses, two commands, and two promises that we can base our entire lives on. Amen. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for this news. Um, Lord, I pray that we all Individually and communally would respond right now. Um, God, I trust and I pray that there are indeed some who are here tonight or today who are who are cut to the heart, Lord. Who you're revealing yourself in such a way that they can do no other but to respond and to say, "Here I am. I give my life to you. Um, I trust in you." I, I just want to say for a moment for anyone who's here still with our eyes all close and our heads bowed. If that's you, um, please come up and talk to me after, or I'm going to be in the back with some other people that would love to pray. And we just want to pray about anything going on in our lives, including uh, if you want to um, pray and, and give your life to Christ, and, um, or if you just have more questions or whatever. Don't. Th- this is a safe place to consider, how do I respond to this news of Jesus? And so, Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit, whom you have sent, would now lead us to respond to your good news, the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.